All right, welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Ryan. This is Nate. And this is Shannon. And we are coming back to you to talk about sex. <laughs> Shocker. Yes. Sex. Yeah, and desire. And all the things. We're, we, we've moved into a, a, a series, I think. We didn't mean to do a series necessarily, but on things that are a little bit more risque, puts us a little more out of our comfort zone, and things we need to think about, and perhaps things we need to talk about with our partner and be honest about. And so in the last two weeks, we talked about the porn, and, and by the way, y'all, uh, we got some, we got some, as you might expect, some interesting reader uh, response, listener responses um, in our mailbag. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee so I can take a breath. I, I love how you called it the porn. It's the porn. <laughs> <laughs> for, I noticed for the, that too. <laughs> yeah. The well, we had we had one write one person write in. His name's Paul, and he was, uh, you know, identifies as a conservative Christian. Was completely appalled that we left the door open for the possibility for a Christian to look at graphic sexual content con- content aka porn for any reason like he's like teetotal you guys are crazy never ever should a christian ever look at anything anything like that and then we also got listener email that was um ah, i think you guys were a little prudish and a little skittish and Ryan, why didn't you say anything in that conversation? <laughs> so uh, we got called out on both sides, listeners. Thank you so much. We really appreciate all of your thoughts from every direction. Yeah, this is the the story of many people's lives. You're you're too progressive for the conservatives and too conservative for the progressives, and um, you can't please all the people all the time, but you can piss everyone off in one fell swoop. Is what yeah. I have heard. yes you're welcome i pissed you off well this comes down to the reason that i often will say but i feel like sometimes it goes in one ear not the other and people don't really absorb the meaning of it we're not prescribing anything we're describing we're not prescribing we're not saying people should look at porn we're only describing the fact that many people do, even the ones, even many, I won't say all, and I applaud people who are teetotalers. I applaud people who feel as if their spiritual convictions can take precedence over their sexual desires. I, I think that that's tremendous. And I certainly think that that should always be the goal. But I also know that there are many Christians, including missionaries and pastors, uh, who come to me with their you know, with their face in their hands of just being so distraught that they can't seem to get a grip on this situation. And uh, that there, there are reasons. There are reasons why their sexual desires take precedence over their spiritual convictions. And helping people unpack that is far more helpful than shaming them and saying, well, you know, you shouldn't do that. Well, yeah. you know, we all know what we shouldn't do, but we also know what, what we crave and what we're prone to do when no one is watching. And yeah. so I applaud our courage to talk about it so that people can get a context for why they do what they do. And maybe that would be more liberating for them than just shaming them and saying, well, Christians shouldn't do that. End of, end of discussion. 
period on the end of the sentence, next topic. Well, and I think we, I, yeah, I agree. And I think we, I think I thought we did a good job, but just to reiterate that, you know, we, our conversation really focused on the meaning of pornography and how it functions in your life and in your relationship more than I think the actual sexual content. Um, because, um, yeah, if, if, if like it, like anything in your life, if it's, if it's bringing you down, if it's uh, impeding your relationship with um, your your relationships in your life, if it's if it's destructive, then absolutely that is not a good thing. Yeah, if it causes life. you to feel guilty, if it um, takes up more time than you feel comfortable sacrificing, um, <laughs> if you have to keep it a secret from yeah. your partner, you know, all those are big red flags that something needs to be examined yeah and i'm i'm curious shannon um if you know you're you're talking about the the bravery that i think we're all all three of us are are learning about as we're speaking openly for the sake of conversation um and you know ryan was just reading some comments that we started to, to get from some of our listeners um shannon as someone who's who's been on air for a while and and we're kind of tracking to see how your how your courage has blossomed. Have you heard from a different set of viewers that or listeners um, that shows, you know, just as we're being brave? Oh, here's some brave listeners too who are kind of, you know, with step on 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 the same step with us with being honest about this. Yeah, it's interesting how. Um... <sighs> I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and be vulnerable, but I want to totally protect the identity of, you know, any individuals or churches involved just out of respect. Um, but, uh, you know, in a particular group of people where I had spoken, one person um, asked me point blank about a month later, why are you doing that podcast? And I told her exactly the reason why that I believe that there should be more Christians creating dialogue around these topics, talking about the things that no pastor could ever preach about from the pulpit, that I felt as if it was a long overdue conversation, that um, that the views expressed on the show weren't necessarily uh, you know, commonly shared. It's okay for Ryan to have his thoughts and his views, and it's okay for Nate to have his thoughts and his views, and it's okay for Shannon to have her thoughts and her views. And it just shows a beautiful example of what should be happening in our country on all topics, not just sex, but politics, religion, like we should all learn to embrace and celebrate other people's thoughts and opinions as their own without feeling as if they're being forced on us and without us having to force our opinions on someone else. It's just, it's not working in our society. You can look at the tension in politics and religion and in sex, and it's obviously not working to unite people and to build connection and rapport. And so once I told her why, she was just like, oh, okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. I think that she just assumed that, you know, that we all saw eye to eye on every single topic and that we were like promoting it or that I was prescribing it instead of describing it. But interestingly enough, I have been, uh, several people have reached out to me since that speaking engagement, wanting to do coaching, wanting to do the workshops, wanting to talk about the things that they can't talk about with their church leadership. And so it just confirms. And then also, um, Ryan, didn't you tell me that the, the, the show has a big listening spike in that particular 
geographic region. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like if, yeah, if your pastor tells you not to do something, even if you've never even heard of that before, right, you're going to look it up immediately. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the classic. Yeah. Parents, if you prohibit your kids from doing something, they're going to try it at least once. So. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, ladies, let me ask a few bold questions. What would it look like for you to become a sexually confident woman? Someone who loves touching and being touched with no guilt, shame, or inhibition? Are you ready to experience the kind of deep inner healing that could make that possible? Would you like to experience a passion for your husband like you've never had before? Or if single, would you like to make peace with your past and attract a truly healthy partner? If these questions pique your interest, then consider attending a Woman at the Well workshop with our very own Shannon Etheridge, yay! author of 22 books and relationship coach extraordinaire. Learn more by going to shannonetheridge.com and clicking the workshops link. Each four-day intensive is limited to 8 to 10 pre-screened participants, so act now and reserve your spot today. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's not intended to be like a sinister laugh on our part. It's not like we're trying no, to infiltrate and infect or anything. We're just calling attention to the fact that there are so many Christians out there that are clamoring for more information than what they're capable of getting at just their men's group or on Sunday morning or in their Sunday school classes or in their Bible studies. And, and, and that's like- okay. That's normal. They didn't get that much information when they were kids. I'm, I'm glad that they're curious enough to listen or to reach out for coaching or whatever. I'm glad there needs to be more dialogue and more healing. And, and to, to add a thought onto that, Shannon, if, if, if you don't mind, it, I think also uh, what you described is so clear. Um, I think also there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of Christians out there that aren't able to hold sexuality yet. Um, we aren't able to hold it within our holy marriage yet. And, and um, yeah, I know I was one of these people. This is why I share that so passionately. I, I could be a working minister in a happy looking relationship that looks fantastic on Facebook with a supportive wife and, and have so much chemistry and yet we're still living um, a lie in regards to being in full sexual integrity and fullness and fighting for it and fighting for it. Because if we stop fighting for it and we reach a certain complacency, we kind of limit God's effect in our own lives and, and, and what a vibrant sexual marriage can be. Well, and I think, Nate, I'm glad you said that because I think too often church becomes a place where we go to pretend to be perfect with ourselves and with our family you know, and there's the, it's the classic, um, you know, the family are yelling and screaming at each other all the way, getting ready for church and in the car and all the way to the car. And then it's like, you know, straighten your tie and put your smiles on your face and you get out of the car, you know, and you're like the happy clappy family. And then you get back in the car and critique this pastor's sermon up yeah. and down and gossip <laughs> what yeah, so-and-so like... was wearing three seats over. And right. it's just like, wow. <laughs> so it's symptomatic. I mean, it it definitely spikes around sexuality. But, you know, they, we have a tendency toward inauthenticity in church. And 
you know, unfortunately, you know, your, your small group or your Sunday school class, you know, can be a place where people kind of go to show off and not to be, not to be vulnerable and honest. And, um, and I, and I, I'm not saying that I trying to generalize or anything, but when, when, when that does happen, um, yeah, people are bringing in all kinds of things in, into commu- in Christian community, and whether it's whether it's sexual and marital or financial or whatever, you know, we need to be able to create a place, a container, as a word that Nate likes to use, where people can be authentic and feel supported and prayed for, and not judged because um, because they're not perfect even though no one else in the room is perfect right um and and particularly around sex where we may pretend like we are the the perfect christian couple having amazing sex and with plans to have 15 children but when we get home then the thing that we're not telling anybody else about is you know that things just are not working things are not clicking and you don't understand why you don't feel like you can tell anybody that that's really damaging to the community, right? Because mm-hmm. it you uh, our vulnerability and our honesty with our community is actually a way to help heal the community because other people people who've gone through that can help you and people be like, oh, me too. You know that that that's happening to us. What do we do? Mm-hmm. We've been shopping around for churches in the Lexington Richmond area, and uh, two slogans have really really appealed to me. Um, one is a church that, that, uh, their slogan is where it's okay to not be okay. (laughs) And I thought, okay, Mm. that is a church where I think that people would hopefully feel safe. Um, but then another church, there was a sign on the side that said, all are welcome here. Really? We mean it Mm. all. Um, I think I mentioned that before, but it just means a lot to me to find a church that is inclusive of people, no matter who they are or where they are or what they're struggling with. Um, But I also acknowledge though, that sex is not really a topic that is palatable for large audiences. It's not like you're going to go into the church and blab it in your Sunday school class of 25 people. And so I would just really encourage Christians who are listening to this, whether you have any sort of pastoral role or ministry role in your church or not, definitely make the suggestion. It needs to be really clear that there are lay counselors or uh or just you know mentors or people who are willing to to meet with others one-on-one in the church as needed without them feeling like they're they would be a burden and those people need to be trained bring me into your church and i will train them on how to help people discern what what the real meaning behind their desires are and what those really represent and how to keep them in alignment with their spiritual values and not let it be something that destroys their marriage and their family and therefore their testimony and all that because churches do need to be a safe place. But I have heard so many horror stories of people divulging sexual information to someone they thought they could trust at the church but when it turns out that they couldn't oh, or man. they get rejected or ousted, uh, you know, when you get ousted from the tribe, that is painful. And, oh. and I think that that's why church has earned a bad reputation for a lot of people that they tried to be authentic. They tried to say, Hey, mm. I'm struggling with porn or I'm struggling with sex in my marriage or whatever they get, or I'm having an affair or whatever the case may be. And they weren't ministered to. They were, they were, 
ousted or shamed. Mm -hmm. And it, it's time for the church to learn how to do ministry better than that. I'd like to say something in, 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 in defense for the church um, only because I think we're, we're, we're going into new territory and we haven't seen good examples of how churches can, can hold this well. Because um, as a man, I remember I was, I remember being a, a camp pastor. And when I was a camp pastor, I was talking to some teenagers and even some of the guys would tell me like, oh, I can, you know, oh, I'm really not into this or like, you know, seeing this type of thing just really, you know, turns me off and pisses me off and everything. And, and I would, I would hear their sexual desires or their, their grab, their, their ability to hold it or inability to hold it. And it was hard for me to hold. And I found myself just kind of backing away from the conversation or, or distancing, my, distancing myself from it um, and from all my, all my friends, my family, so to speak, just to, just to feel safe, just to, to protect, right? Or, or to control the conversation so we, can, so we can have it better. So, you know, there are some really good intentions with, um, sometimes there could be some good intentions with how to hold sexual conversation, but we just, we handle it in maybe not the best ways. Uh, but I just want to acknowledge that the fear that, that we have when we confront sexuality is le a legitimate fear. It's uh, when I come across a, a man who's really owning his, his sexual frustration, and then when I'm encountering a woman who's, who's communicating to me about her sexual frustration, you know, I can't talk to a woman who's, who's full of sexuality and is able to talk about it. That scares me as a man. I, I, I don't know how to hold that. Um, but when there's another man who's struggling with it, I, I can draw closer to him and I can have that conversation more effectively. So even my own comfort level has determined how I would react to people when I was a Christian leader. And um, yeah, I'm sure it had its effect. It was just hard to hold. It was so hard. Do you think that it's because the church, um, well, I don't want to say that it's a church problem. Do you think that it's because individuals, do you think it's just because Christians have had the mindset that any desires they have are um, are anti-Christian, are are ungodly, are um, are just a sign that they are lustful or that that's their flesh or whatever. I just, I think that in a way that many Christians have been spayed or neutered because it's like they've been taught. Kind of like what I saw Nate with my first exposure to you was the video where you talked about how there were your yearly increments that you were not having sex with your wife and that you accepted that as holy. Right. So I interpreted that to mean that you guys at one point considered any sexual desire unholy. And I, I do, I find that with so often, uh, you know, many people who they've been told either don't touch yourself, don't let a boy touch you, don't let a girl touch you. It, it's like, don't, so don't let anyone arouse you. Don't watch anything that arouses you. Don't think anything that arouses you. Don't get aroused. And then we wonder why the Christian divorce rate is just as high as the unchristian divorce rate. It's, it's like we have literally caused people to have so much shame in their marriage bed, and it doesn't serve them well. That's a they, good need, point. they need to know that they can have freedom to be sexually aroused, especially by one another, and... Un unharness that, unleash that energy. 
with one another in the marriage bed. That's, that's what it's designed to do is contain all that. But if you're not allowed to open the lid in your own mind and body, how do you ever share that with your spouse? Do you all think that, yeah, to piggyback on that, Shannon, um, do you all think that that is related? I mean, is for maybe a lot of people or at least some people, do you think that's related to deep down a fear of intimacy? Like, because I was just thinking like when I was talking about like, you know, the Sunday school class where nobody's real with each other. I mean, part of that is a fear of being known, right? And because if, if someone really knows who I really am, they might reject me. So I have to project an ideal person. And then I think we talked in, a, in an earlier episode about how we do that in the courtship process. Um with another person we project the ideal person and you know and the reason why we aren't comfortable sexually is because we're we're not comfortable being truly intimate with another person on on, on all levels not just sexually intimate mm-hmm. as my dog barks <laughs> I, I i think what you said w- was was perfect like when, when you said you know do we have a fear of intimacy i was wondering that like you know hmm okay that's another way to frame it, you know, do we? And, and then you said uh, about the rejection, how, you know, that we're afraid of rejection. So I, I would, you know, to, to piggyback off of what you're saying, Ryan, I, I would say that, you know, I think we want intimacy, but the fear of rejection of showing our fullness and then getting that rejected, whatever that is, I think that's what I know. That's what I fear the most because um, there is a sense of me being afraid of my own sexual fullness if I follow it, you know? But I think that's because when I grew up in church, I was always discouraged to go down that road to see my sexual fullness, you know, because that would lead to sin, that would lead to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so when I got married and all of a sudden it was okay, I know I didn't have a voice that encouraged that sexual fullness. I thought that would come from my wife. I thought that would come from other church people or whatever really it needs to come from me. I need to be able to do that for myself. But I, all I had in me was stuff that would shame me. And all that my ex-wife had was things that would shame her. So, and then, you know, we went to the church, we couldn't find anything. So I think if, if we had something that would help us um, ease the fear of rejection, that you can bring your sexual fullness, um, I think that would have really decreased the fear that I have of rejection. I agree, Ryan, that it is a fear of intimacy, that that is probably the biggest factor because as we're unpacking this, you know, my wheels are turning and I'm thinking about the fact that so oftentimes someone doesn't feel comfortable communicating to their spouse, what really arouses them, what turns them on. Um, and, and Nate, you've been so vulnerable to share, you know, your experiences with you and Deb that you only found out after the divorce, some of the things that that were unique to your own sexual journeys. Um, But so many people who don't feel as if they can be honest with their spouse about what really arouses them and what they fantasize about and what turns them on, they will feel completely comfortable going there by themselves. And maybe that's what they use the porn for. And again, I'm not prescribing it. I'm only describing it. I'm just saying that I think that people are more comfortable letting themselves go there in their own minds, but they're so afraid of what their spouse or anybody else would think of them if they disclose that information. But my own personal journey 
I have felt it mandatory that my intimate partner, my husband, would know what my theme is, what my template is. And the way that I've described this to people is, um, you know, if you had that plate of Play-Doh and you press your hand down deep into it and you take it out, the only shape that that's going to possibly form is the impression of your hand. It's not going to be anything else. And so when you look at your life, there are certain things that have happened to you that have formed your sexual and emotional and spiritual and relational template. And the things that have happened to me, I felt like it was very important that my husband know those things even before we married. I wanted to make sure that this wasn't something that was going to be, um, you know, that was going to impede our intimacy as a married couple. And, um, and Charlie completely understood and got that and celebrates that. And I feel as if to communicate that to my spouse is like giving him the key to my most sacred lock. You know, he alone, he's the only man on the planet who knows that information about me. Um, but I do often share it at women at the well workshops because it communicates to women. It, it, it gives them an example of being vulnerable and owning your story and owning your fantasies, but what it looks like to never have, never have acted out on them because I've never acted out on what arouses me I've, because I know the difference between fantasy and reality. Fantasy mm -hmm. serves a purpose to try to bring it into the reality realm will only mess up your life. But I, I share that example with them about what's happened in my life and why my fantasies go in the direction that they do, but what, how I harness all that energy and only share it with my husband, because I think that it's a beautiful example of intimacy into me. See, he knows <laughs> the deepest crevices and I'm not talking about the ones you know, down there. I'm talking about the ones in my brain. Um, those are my deepest crevices, the ones that no one else can see. Um, <laughs> so, so it, it just illustrates an, an example of intimacy and vulnerability that we can be authentic with one another and risk the fear of rejection. But you know, I've had over 300 women go through my workshops and no one has ever outed me. No one has ever judged me. No one has ever thrown a stone at me. No one has ever shamed me. They just feel a permission slip to own their own story and their own template and their own fantasies. And they know that they can go home and share those with their husband and I, I, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I get gifts from husbands all the time saying, wow, you really unlocked my Ooh. wife's vault. You know, it's like, I've never known the combination to her sexual vault. And now I know. And oh, that's wow. really great information to have. Ah, well, and that's all the time we have. This has been a great conversation about how to dialogue with people who have different views than you and how to create safe places for dialogue and relationships and with couples being known and truly intimate with ourselves and with others. Even though this is all the time we have, you can tell where this conversation is going. In the next episode, we will discuss desire and fantasy. Ooh la la. So stay tuned. If you think there was something important that wasn't said or you want to join your story to this conversation, you can email us at info at touchpodcast.com or tweet us at touch underscore cast. We would love to hear from you. Hey, listeners, you may not know this, but Ryan Clark has a consulting company. It's called Next Good. And this is how he helps individuals and organizations rewrite their futures by becoming actors in their own comedy. You'll learn how to collaborate, experiment, and play with your fellow cast members as you all move forward in life toward your ultimate goals. Go to ournextgood.com for more information. 
This has been Touch Podcast. I'm Nate Novero. This is Ryan Clark. And I am Shannon Etheridge, and we love you for listening.